0: And a one,
1: and a two, and a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Welcome to the House of Strauss Industry Talk. Welcome to the conversation with the one, the only,
2: Ryan Glassbeagle of the New York Post. How you doing, Ryan? Uh, I'm still recovering from um, Defector making me sad last week.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you added them uh, in advance of this whole conversation. Ryan I kind of a- <laughs>
2: wanted him to come.
1: so what you guys could could hash it out could have a conversation i mean
2: i just want to know i want to get a sense for like why he thinks he's the self-appointed arbiter of like what is or isn't good writing and kind of get a sense for uh why he thinks like being mean to people online is like a useful job I would be fascinated
1: to have that conversation. I really would. And to what Ryan is referring to, and we will get into it. You're almost fo- you're focusing too much on the defector piece. I think you went viral with the article that you're referring to, which was it on. Did, uh, yeah, it was yeah. like.
2: Um, I, I wish we were saving this for when like 40 people are here instead of 11. but well, uh, you know you it was my it. books. I brought it up at the start, but well, uh, y- y- you do it during the Goddamn
1: Eastern Conference finals as we've done no. And it's a bit of an issue, but you know, they gotta wrap this thing up because Nate Duncan will stop by later. He has to wait out that game, of course. but hey, look, um, I, I'll set it up. Ryan in The New York Post wrote a profile on Shams Trania, uh the one of the two leading scoop hounds of the NBA. And it was remarkably a remarkably uh sad article in many ways. And it went viral for being pretty sad. Uh the main thing I saw bounce around was that Shams what what was the scream time amount? It was seven between seventeen and what was the upper end of that hour.
2: Yeah, day. it was so it was like seventeen to eighteen hours a day. And then, like, 20-plus during draft and free agency.
1: Yes. And so that was one of the takeaways. I wouldn't have thought that anybody would care that his life is such a grind. Uh, Normally, we're viewed almost like uh, vending machines. People just want the content. I don't think they necessarily care what goes into it most of the time. They've got their own lives. They've got their own struggles. But in this case, Ryan, I think there was something about Shams. He's so suave. He's so young. There's a sense that this is a tragedy, that he is not living a life, that he is no longer playing pickup basketball, that he is devoting every second of his waking life to trying to beat a press release by a few minutes. And I think there's something about that that people found captivating.
2: Well, but it's the life that he wants, and it's not necessarily sad, actually. Like... I wasn't trying to present it as sad, although that is No, you're being
1: dispassionate, yeah.
2: The the thing about it is, is that he... So, like, that's what he wants. But, like, it it was tricky because I was a little handicapped in it because he was not going to discuss his free agency, which was the peg of the piece. He was not going to discuss Woj, which is what everybody wants him to discuss. And so... What I try to do with the story, and at least parts of it, is, yeah, he wouldn't discuss Woj, but he would discuss the length he goes in working to not get beat by him. Yeah. And so e- even though he's not talking about Woj directly, and we don't know exactly where this like split in their relationship came, but the two of them really want to beat each other. And he is devoting like his whole life to not getting beat by this guy.
1: Yeah, there's a uh, no love lost between those rivals, and it has the classic elements. I've had people who have some Hollywood connections ask if maybe we could work on a script about this because it's the classic <laughs> dynamic. You've got the protege, you've got the mentor, and then you've got the betrayal, and who knows where the betrayal is. But Woj over at Yahoo uh, took. Shams under his wing. And at some point there was a sense that this guy's trying to use me to get ahead uh, from both both sides. You know, that's as much as I can maybe get into it, uh, there's a lot of rumor. He's obviously not going to go on the record about it, but there is a real split there. And I, I reported when Woj is sending around his resume uh, to different potential sources. Uh, a lot of what he's saying to those potential sources is don't go with Shams and bad mouthing Shams. His once protege so uh even though it's a rather i guess in the grand scheme silly battle to have the news first and we can have a different conversation of why this even exists and why it's worth millions of dollars to be the guy who does it um just that that human story is something you'll see reflected in the great mob movies and everywhere else in fiction and i think that's one of the reasons why people they want answers
2: yeah but um like you know I didn't get into this, but Shams does also have um, stories that aren't kind of you know front running the press release of like this trade is going to happen in three minutes, and yeah. but he's the one who delivers the news. Like I mean, he he's been on top of a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff on like Ben Simmons, for example, um, this season. You know, like he he was I think the first person to report um, that, like, Simmons' teammate, obviously it's not stunning, but they were really pissed at him for not playing um, in that series in the Celtics when they had thought that he was, like, kind of coming. And so yeah. there, there are other stuff that he does, too, but it the, these are the – this is the game. Like, the game is if you're Schefter or you're Woj and if you're Shams or you're Rappaport, you're going to be – like enormously like watched second to second on social media and be compensated very handsomely for it
1: yes and i guess if he's happy then he's happy if it's worth it to him then it's worth it to him regardless of what other writers might think about it and uh the defector piece we will get to uh the defector which is the publication that was made by the uh people who were at deadspin who had to go somewhere after deadspin was was exploded and deadspin still kind of
2: exists they just all quit and so that you know their credit um, they made it work uh, financially like they you you know how hard it is to build um a subscription business they've done it they've created yeah, I've,
1: I've, I'm doing 17 to 20 hours a day of screen time building my own business Ryan but continue
2: <laughs> they I wouldn't doubt it but no um, it's not true but yeah <laughs> they've they've created this like kind of separatist communist utopia where they're all equity holders none of them like produce that much work but they have a dedicated subscriber base and it seems like it's going to be sustainable for quite some time like they're not gonna make shams money individually out of it but they're kind of like working in a slack room with their friends where they're making fun of everybody that they think that they're smarter than and um i like i said it was going to work um before they launched it and i was right but like they 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 seem to be on a path towards like independent financial sustainability and credit to them for that because that's not easy everyone would like to work for themselves instead of working for somebody else you being very gracious turning yeah now i'm being gracious but now i'm gonna get into my like promo let me let me let let
1: me set it up a bit so uh Uh, albert bernanko At the Defector uh, wrote an article called Shams Please Go On Some Dates, Man. Um, Where, just off the bat, really displeased with you in a way that seemed kind of odd. Um, He said that
2: the idea that I wrote a story (laughs) about him was hilarious. Like, he didn't even He he assumes everybody knows who I am, which is very flattering. Yeah,
1: I didn't want to say it. It's almost like he's talking about Bill Simmons.
2: uh, And you are...
1: Hey, hey, you've got a spot in the industry, Ryan. But he was speaking to the audience as though everybody hates Ryan. (laughs) 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 Everybody already knows.
2: (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because nobody sent that story to me. Like, at, at Deadspin, they had enormous reach and enormous influence nobody sent that to me and the only reason i found it was because i was like googling shams kind of <laughs> narcissistically to see who aggregated me and it yeah. like they popped up but um like not one person reached out it was like oh man i saw they made fun of your profile or anything and like they if it had happened at Deadspin, they definitely would have, but like those Deadspin people have been making fun of me for eight years, at least like Drew McGarry made fun of something I wrote about Colin where I think he called like Colin, like uncle racist Shitbag or some stupid (laughs) name like that. Um, Laura Wagner on the day, like that. So like on the day, big lead got sold from USA Today to Minute Media and like, over half of the site got laid off, including, like, the site's founder, Jason McIntyre. Laura Wagner's lead goes, you know, it's the end of an era. It was a boring and vapid and shitty era, but an era nonetheless. And, like, the, like, boring and vapid, like, hyperlink to stories of mine. And <laughs> so, the, you know, all of them, it's funny because they they – read me but i i'm telling you i do not like i can't tell you one thing defector is written other than this in like the last 6 months
1: i just got a text from Nate Duncan sorry game taking forever i agree it is taking forever this game this injured
2: i took game. a I... whole nap in the middle of it
1: and woke up did you up... bet on this game you degenerate did you bet on this one
2: i had a couple props that lost ah. um that like I, they weren't sophisticated bets. It was just kind of like the machine said, do it. And I did. And then, you know, the, it was before Horford and um, smart were ruled out. So I think my machine didn't anticipate yeah. that. Yeah.
1: Um, well, you know, taking it back to your beef with these people that I was unaware of uh, that has lasted eight years. I mean, you just, you just don't know these things. This goes to show you, by the way, Ryan, that sometimes People in the media are hyper aware of who hates them or uh, who's talking shit about them, and sometimes there's a small community of people who know, but often nobody nobody knows or very few people know. I had no idea about any but of that. I, I, mean, I,
2: I-, I do want to get back to Bernico because he is a total charity case by them. Like he's not someone like McGarry or Wagner who's like stories will like resonate with a decent amount of people. like Wagner does some reporting, you know, she does some media reporting. Bernico writes like maybe two or three things like a week. And I know you write like maybe two or three things a week, but they, his are not nearly like as in depth or or anything as that. Like this is like this guy's output, like his like quick hit piece on me is his whole work output for like 36 hours. Um, (laughs) I, well
1: and and the hit piece I'm going to interject again before you get into it. I found so odd because the piece is almost angry that the Sham's article exists because it's angry at you, but then it's reacting to everything interesting in the article because there were interesting things in the article, so it was i guess hey it, it's a good model, I guess, if you can write an aggregation piece where you're angry that something exists while deriving uh the interesting nuggets from it and claiming it for yourself and for your website, but that that amused me, I guess, that uh, you had done a good profile, you'd gotten good information, and some sneakily good information, like who actually represents Shams, which is a topic of conversation in NBA circles, uh, that's something I got texted about by people in the NBA, they found it very interesting to see that he was with Montog. but yeah, but then playing this other game of I'm offended this exists, and hey, yeah,
2: nice work if you can get it. The, um, it, but it's, you know, it's kind of funny that he makes fun of my writings. I've always thought his writing was just completely impenetrable and I can never tell what point he's trying to make. And so it, um, look, I, I, people, it's like kind of subjective, like who's a good writer and who's not, but he reads me, apparently, and I have it like any time, like I would click on Deadspin and I would see it was by him. My bounce rate would be like two and a half seconds. <laughs> so I would like think that he would just be going on some meandering, like directionless rant that I would disagree with if I could ever figure out what he was trying to say.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I've really thought about it too much. I've, I've always thought that people from that, uh, from that group were a little interchangeable other than McGarry, who obviously is well known. And I do not get the moralism from a Gary. This guy literally said he hated gay people and he's moralizing to everybody uh, from here ever after. It's very curious to me with some of what he has done, some of what he has said, not all of it's out there. And well, yet... he's not
2: principled. <laughs> That's the thing is like yeah. this, um, this wokeness like stuff. Uh, like there are a lot of like genuine people of which he's not one. And yeah. so like it the wokeness gives cover to these people who just love being mean to people to have yeah. um, a socially oh, yeah. acceptable reason to be mean to other people, yeah. well, and Gary is an McGarry, opportunist in that yeah. regard.
1: Yeah, McGarry would gay bash when that was an easy way to bully people, and now he uh, has clothed himself in this piety, because that's an easy way to bully people, but he is a brand, he is better known, he is probably one of the drivers... Of that business for them and to what you're saying, there are these other guys, the Bernankos who are replaceable, and they all have the same tone and I can't even remember they all have the same opinion
2: like they don't yeah. disagree on anything and, nope.
0: Nope. um
2: it it really like is you know it, it's like the like Khrushchev regime or something the way that like they um kind of carry themselves
0: but they
1: might be they might be successful i don't know i mean it's an interesting thing here's what's interesting to me about it at least um they were very much honed by twitter as far as their tone gawker and were influential it became the way media talked and yet the defector does nothing on twitter uh, their articles do not hit i mean this one by bernenko i i think maybe got shit i don't know two retweets uh, when he when he put it out there, I'm just looking it up. But they've got a thriving comment section, as far as I can see. It gets 208 comments. So maybe, and this could be a good thing. Uh, these people have left the toxic swamp of Twitter, and they're in their own place. And theoretically, uh, they maybe can do better work. Yeah, but they're in a place It's searcher.
2: funny because they really like they. What What would you want? Would you want all of this influence that they used to have in terms of driving the conversation and the ability to cost people their jobs or whatever, or would you rather have what they have now where they like, probably like Bernico probably works like 15 hours a week. Um, Nobody cares what any of them have to say other than this group of like 200 people that comment on everything. They don't have any influence, they can't like they can write a hit piece about somebody, and that person would have no idea it existed and like they they can't drive any change, but nobody's telling them what to do, and they don't have to like work very hard,
1: yeah, well, I think I've revealed which path I would choose because I've chosen the paywall over maximum impact so I guess I would prefer the life of a sustainable website um, and less influence, but it, it, it's, a, it's a driver for a lot of people. That was a big deal for The Athletic when they were recruiting people because you write something on the ESPN homepage, millions of people are going to see it. Um, you're behind the paywall, and that's a five-figure amount often um, if, if, it's, if you're lucky, you know, depending on what you're covering. So uh, a lot of people do want the exposure. They want that, and uh, I don't. I don't think so for me. I don't know what's going on there. I, there's a lot that Freddie. But you DePoe have
2: is. influence too, though. And like your stuff gets forwarded around, and like if you think like that, Woj and Shams aren't reading your stories about them, you're wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, I want to go on a Stephen A. Smith at Kevin Durant rant right now about uh, my influence and the the people I know. Ryan, um, no, I do have some influence. I I did hold up on the Mark Jackson thing until I was sure he didn't get the King's job. I didn't want to be part of that particular conversation. And I can unpaywall a thing um and let it bounce around. I think it's a good it's a good medium. It's a good inner it's just it's good. I don't want to be living the life Shams is. If he's happy, then he's happy. I wanna have Nate on later and I'm hoping this can be broadly applicable because people listening, I'm guessing, aren't majority in media. There are a lot of people in the media who like listening to this, but majority probably not. like
2: on demand or they're in like the ghost thing where it's like that plus 14 (laughs) others at the bottom where we can't see who they are.
1: Well, well, I, I want Nate on when this game is over because Nate Duncan, king of podcasting, king of NBA podcasting, you would think he lives his life like Shams, just based on how prolific he is. You would assume that he has no life, but it's very much not like that. And it's infuriatingly so that he's the guy, he's the friend who will call me up in the middle of the week and ask if I want to go skiing that day. He's just somehow <laughs> leads a life of leisure while uh, crushing it, running his own business. And so he might... He might have some good work-life balance tips for us, or he might just piss us off, like that kid who doesn't study and aces the test, that goodwill (laughs) hunting bullshit. Um, We we will find out later, because there is a minute 55 left in this game. The Celtics do not look long for it. P.J. Tucker... Of course, they just
2: hit a three to cut it to seven. Oh, shit. See, that's
1: the thing with streaming. You're always behind. You know, I'm behind. This is... uh, so embarrassing as i announced that but yeah i want to have nate on later um he certainly wouldn't want to get in on this part of the conversation where we're shitting on other media people so it's probably good that we're it's probably good that we're doing it right now and it seems like yu yang has a media take he's in the uh, he's in the call so i'm gonna take a call from yu yang let's see make him the next caller
3: hi guys oh. how you doing hey how's doing it going well.
1: Just, hey, hey, I'm nice fathoming, I'm, I'm mulling whatever fucking hit pieces I have now earned myself from the defector.
3: Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, hey, I gotta say, uh, Ryan, your article of Shams was, was amazing. I, I read it last week when it came out. Um, you know, it's like, it was very descriptive because like the, the part that you talked about earlier is the part I caught too about how like, you know, he does, he's like 17 hours screen time. Like That was a very kind of a memorable kind of line you know how it's, it's just his, his, his mom his family and he doesn't even have any mates you know and it, it made me feel kind of sad because i i, I kind of wish he did have a mate or even have a girlfriend or i don't know <laughs> if he does if, if it was kept private i don't care or oh, even boyfriend i don't care i don't you know,
2: I don't, you know I, <laughs> I don't think so but maybe because um i you know i was trying he the just because like People say something to you doesn't mean it's totally true, and I have no reason right. to believe he was like lying about this stuff, but you never know, he might just be right. keeping that private,
3: right? Hey, you know what? Um, guys, as usual, I, I kind of have like an offbeat take that nothing to do with what you guys talk about, sure. I hope that's okay, you know. Fine. you guys are always, yeah, you guys are always very generous. I don't know why you always kind of, you know, listen to my questions and you know, answer them somehow. Well, I don't it's know why. kind
1: of the point of the show, it's kind of the point of the show that you give people their space. To have their feel. <laughs> that said, wrap it up, Yu and Get to the goddamn point. Let me let me, point. let me
3: let me let me get to it. let me. I'll be I'll be a good lead-off hitter, so I can uh, lead it off right. Um, this is actually I don't know if you guys uh have you, ha- had a chance to read the uh, the Mark Fern Fen- Fen- article um about Joe Tsai and on ESPN. I don't, did you yes. guys read that? Yes, we yes. read you know, that. We have I thought it was such an amazing article, and I haven't heard you guys comment on it at least on this pod. Um, just want to carry any takes on it because, like, the one line well, there were so many things on the article, but I want to keep it short, you know. But the one line that stood out to me the most was how when the Joe side was trying to defend China about how China is just like a one party system and that certain like freedoms have, have to be restricted in order to maintain kind of like prosperity and social order. Um, yep. But yeah, I'll open it up the floor because you guys are always so interesting. Anything from the article you want to comment on or something you want to say? I, I'm sure you have such some interesting takes, but I just haven't heard you say anything yet about it.
1: My main thought was that if they had a smoking gun that Cy had tried to get Maury fired, mm. then it just, I think, becomes. A different article in terms of its blast radius, mm-hmm. but because because it was a little bit, it was denied they by write it side. In
2: email that they obtained or anything. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and that's not I, a. They criticism. made a
2: compelling case that he did it, but they didn't prove it. Yeah,
1: which is funny because we're we're so certain that that's what happened just based on all the circumstantial evidence, but nobody had the smoking gun that this was attempted. But I just think it would have it would have gone over differently. And talking to people behind the scenes, there is a sense of almost everybody gets what they wanted. That ESPN gets to appear a little bit impartial, a little bit not in thrall to uh their benefactors. Um, but it's not enough of a hit that it really does damage to uh Joe Psy or the Brooklyn Nets. And then we just keep it moving. And I thought it was very well written and very comprehensive. And I mean I just think there's another angle too of if Joe Tsai is this type of person who has never existed prior where mm. they're almost not it, it really is that critique as the uh, the Trumpists would say of globalists where it, 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 he's from God where is he from? Was he from Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan initially? China. But also by way of Canada by way of New mm. York his kids went to the high school a few blocks from my high school in San Diego Um <laughs> <laughs> See,
2: he's like he's a citizen of the world.
1: A citizen yeah. of the world. You you took the words right out of my mouth. So, um there are a lot of different angles to it. I guess my thought is it was comprehensive. Those guys do great work, but maybe it wasn't the sort of direct hit to really leave an impression, but it would have been if anybody had an incentive to make it that thing. Nobody has an incentive within NBA media, I think, to really dwell on the uh, China connection or to just ask questions about how crazy it is that effectively a communist party of China functionary runs the Brooklyn Nets, but nobody seems to care. It doesn't serve anybody's interests. It's a great postseason right now. So I guess we're all just moving on.
2: The, um, the post had a good companion piece. I don't know if you saw it, Yu Yang. No, um, I didn't. The um, so uh, John Cosman, who covers business for the Post, and uh, Brian Lewis, who covers the Nets, they wrote a story that um that like Sky is just like gone nuclear on their business operations because they were not like selling tickets and sponsorships, etc., to his. Um, projections and that the team like made way less money over the last um, year or two than what he had projected and so it was like is it their fault for not selling like as aggressively like should they be getting beaten by the Knicks and ticket sales or right. did um, Cy have unrealistic um, expectations
1: Right, right. I just want to see Stephen A. Smith crushing Joe Psy like he does Dolan with none of the ethical implications, just as an <laughs> that's a vision owner. That's what I want to see.
2: Yeah. The, hey, um,
3: you know, oh, yeah. You go know, ahead. I'm going to jump off. I, I found that article by jo- John Josh Kaufman and Brian Lewis. Uh, thank you for that uh, you know, plug. But I should probably get off. I see there's a bunch of people behind me, and they're all amazing callers. So you know what? Let me get off the call, and I'll hear your response after I hang up. Thanks, guys.
1: Sure thing. And when Nate Duncan gets here, I want to talk about Patrick Beverly's, uh reign of terror uh, on first take. Uh, I was maybe here's the thing. I don't know. Nate is not a yes and guy. It's very possible he'll dismiss it as all silly and it will go nowhere. But yet, I want his take. But first, let's take a let's take a call from Scott right now. Okay. Good old Scott out of the Bay Area, out of the La Mirinda Hills, this man. How hey, you doing? Oh,
4: good memory. Yeah, doing well, doing well. I uh, grew up in La Mirinda Hills, now in Daly City Hills. But, uh, well, spiritually out of the La Miranda Hills. Yeah, exactly, Hills. exactly. Um, well, yeah, so I, uh, Ryan, I saw a tweet of yours kind of queuing up the uh, discussion about the Defector article. Um, I'm ashamed to admit I didn't have a chance to read your Shams article yet. But I just decided once I saw that tweet to read the Defector article. And I got to say, I got like halfway through it and I just had to punt. Like it was just so unreadable in the sense that. Yeah,
2: that's the thing is the uh, the like unreadable writer is calling me a bad writer.
4: Yeah, it's just like
2: he's trying
4: to, and he like cherry picks random tweets of yours. And but just it's clear that he's he's writing to sound smart to other you know, He's
1: trying to like, be Tommy like, Craggs. A lot of them have the trying to be Tommy Craig's, uh disease. He was a very exactly. talented writer in his
4: day. It's it's re- it's just like so painful to read. And like I would say, Ethan, this kind of came up in your uh, interview with Nick Wright, where you know talked a bit about your writing and like I, I you're a very good writer, but it's not kind of this self serving like I'm pulling out a thesaurus just to sound smart. Like uh, you know some of the references are. Pretty esoteric, but often funny. But like, it's just a different vibe when it's just this. I think I don't know if it's just the negative energy behind it that makes it worse or something. But it's just yeah, I just found it just completely unreadable, and I just had to give up. Yeah, there's a lot of anger there. A lot of anger.
1: It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing tonally, and it's something where as Freddie De has talked about is it just going to be like this forever? Uh, Is it, are you going to be the same sneering back of the class, throwing spitballs guy when you're in your fifties and a whole cohort of the media uh, is aging into that. And effectively they're not going to change. So it will be, uh, it will be sad for different reasons than screen time between 17 and 21 hours. But with that, Scott, great as a caller as you are, we do have Nate Duncan. Yeah. I see Nate's Uh, in the
4: queue. Thanks guys. Take care. I'm going to hop off.
1: Thanks, Scott. We're getting Thank you. It up here. Eventually, we got to figure out how to get Nate. Okay, we'll do invite to speak for Nate as opposed to a caller. The great Nate Duncan, me stalling, hoping that this works, uh, using the listing voice. Hmm. He's been invited to speak. We will see. Or maybe I'll just make him a call. Okay, there we go. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. He just needs to unmute himself. It's hard. He's been in a fugue state. He's been locked in. He's been watching Celtics eat. Nate, Nate, are you there, sir?
5: Yeah, I think so. Yes.
1: Yes. Pumping my fist.
5: Uh, It's good to have you, buddy. I I rebel at having to use this miserable Apple technology. (laughs) And I know I am not endearing myself to all all the West Coast snobs who are probably listening to this where – the android the, is the technology of the flyover states but
1: you know d- you're, you're infuriating david Sachs right now um the thing i wanted to bring up to you because we were discussing ryan had this article go viral about shams uh just his approach his work habits and people were shocked by the amount of time that shams devotes to this and the hyper vigilance the uh 17 hours to 21 hours or whatever of screen time a day, how he won't play pickup basketball, all these things. I'm bringing you up, Nate, because I feel like people would think you're that guy, but you're not that guy. Somehow you've achieved podcast dominance and an infuriating level of work-life balance. So uh, what's your secret, (laughs) Nate?
5: (laughs) Yeah, my daughter actually just gained a a pound in 10 days. She's uh, increased her body weight by 60%. uh, since she was born over the past six weeks. We're very proud of her, uh, speaking of work-life balance. But there you go. Uh, I mean, well, the biggest thing is just that A, I can work from anywhere. And the second biggest thing is you get two and a half months off in the summer now that we actually have a real summer again in the NBA. So like there are times where I maybe work 16 or 17 hours a day, but those are probably, there's maybe 14 days like that throughout the year well now maybe like 28 days like that throughout the year but the rest of it's a pretty normal schedule today. yeah i mean
1: the the interjection i would have is that when you have your own business or your own thing you'll work hard but you'll choose how it happens and that's just so much that's just so much better so if any of you are thinking about starting your own empire uh, you know don't
5: hesitate it's it's something <laughs> to do well, um, well the, the problem is that if something needs to get done and it's not getting done no matter what it is you have to do it that's yeah. that's the only uh a little easier in our business but yeah you know well uh, speak- what, what do you guys yeah go ahead. well i was gonna say i was doing a segue right then i was gonna say speaking
1: of our business nate the business of nba talk uh, there was one patrick beverly who has set the sports talk game aflame on first take and all i think they just have them now permanently there i think they've He's it's,
2: been on every show for the last two days.
1: Yeah, they've strapped him to a chair like Hannibal Lecter, but without the mask, and just are uh, demanding... Instead of the
2: mask, he's got the Christian Dior collar.
1: Yes, and they're just demanding <laughs> takes out of him. Uh, take after take after take. Um, and I, I, I am, from an entertainment perspective, uh, entranced by it all. Uh, I, I really am. There's something about his commitment, his intensity when he was talking about how he's the best defender and citing some stat that he had really taken to heart about opponent field goal percentage that was the same as Giannis and same with that just that such intensity of, so when I'm guarding you, it's like Giannis is guarding you. There's something about the man. But I'm wondering, Nate, if anything from there crossed your transom, if you as a master of granular analysis dismiss it as all a circus act and silly,
5: or if it was interesting in any way to you. I think the reason perhaps that it got so much press was number one. I don't know if they timed it intentionally so that he would come on after maybe Chris Paul's most humiliating defeat, and that's his arch enemy. But the combination of that and then like the ability to kick him, Chris Paul, while he was down, <laughs> but also you just don't see. In any of these shows, regardless of how hot take the guys are, that level of personal animus. I mean, that is, it was almost like reality TV of just like this person clearly has a grudge and they had an axe to grind and he ground that thing (laughs) down to a no.
1: Yeah. And I almost feel like today he's been trying to walk it back a little bit and cool down what he did, that he's finally realize uh, oh, you, oh
5: you think that like every other nba player shitting on him for that it might have uh <laughs> quelled his ardor a little bit there
1: i think it might have which is unfortunate because you'd want somebody who was just completely unbound by social constraint and to see that he is it's quite disappointing i i, 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 I thought he to took say. it
5: too far i i, he, I don't
1: of think course he took there. it too far he, he was well, okay
5: but like <laughs> like too far even to be enjoyable not too far for like his own good
1: Mm. Well, yeah, there, there is this thing that happens where if we're shitting on people for a bad performance and just completely acting like they're garbage, then we've almost wasted all our time watching all the great things they did and the spectacular career of Chris Paul, the really improbable career of Chris Paul to be. 5'11", probably, and this effective uh,
2: in... And last this long, and you have, like, you know, five years ago or whatever, it looked like he was going to be, like, taken out back and shot, you know, yeah. and now, all of a sudden, he's had... Last year was, like, an MVP caliber year or whatever, but um, like, he... he they, they were the best team in the sport by, like, eight games or something this year. Yeah. Um,
1: And I'm an investor in Move Insoles, uh, of which Chris Paul is involved in. So I have to have to announce that. I have to 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 mention that. But yeah, the the criticism went way too far. Even if there were interesting aspects of what he was saying from the NBA player perspective, like I got it, I got what he meant about not fearing Phoenix, Nate. Do you think there's something to how Phoenix didn't have? I know Devin Booker. And Draymond would back the idea of Devin Booker as the superstar. But they, they might have not had that particular guy who puts the fear of God into you. And maybe that's something that NBA players take into consideration. And it influences how they feel about it. Was that something that you picked up on? And do you think he's just talking
5: crazy? Or is there something to that? Uh, I mean, I think it just... you. the idea that like Chris Paul or Devin Booker were like top 10 players in the NBA the team worked because of the system there wasn't necessarily a fear there's not a fear for Patrick Beverly guarding Chris Paul and like let's not forget like what happened to Patrick Beverly against Luca last year for example who completely embarrassed him right or Steph Curry who's going to do that to you out on the floor and and make some highlight Chris Paul isn't going to do that to you necessarily he's just going to come off of the screen and all right, maybe you get picked off a little bit more than you should, and he makes a jumper, or you're just like like the Clippers did last year, you're just going to switch, and that'll be it. Like, you're not, you know, it's just like, he's not the guy where this guy is going to make me look awful, he's going to physically overwhelm me. It doesn't necessarily mean he's less effective. I, I do think the whole, like, who wouldn't you want to defend, like, Who scares you? I think a lot of players, this is why players don't actually have a good idea of who the best players are and Mm. who's actually effective. Because they're just so myopically focused on things like their own individual matchup that it's hard for a lot of guys, at least, to break out of that.
1: Yeah, they. I've found also very much um, are influenced by what they can't do. If a guy can do some things yeah. they can't do.
5: This, this is why Jamal Crawford was one that's of the most exactly, underrated players in the NBA. for years.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say, because it's the sense of, well, I can't do that move, right? And there isn't that sense of, well, it's effective this much of the time. And so, the, you know the most NBA thing he said on that whole – Uh, flamethrower tour that he took yesterday uh, that made me laugh was when he was describing the difference between preparing to defend Steph Curry versus preparing to defend Chris Paul and to say that he was relaxed about the Chris Paul situation. He said, I'm going to stake 44. I'm drinking a bottle of wine. And that made me laugh because that is is so NBA, folks. That's a way of seeing the country where you describe a, just a restaurant in a city, and you just assume people know what you're talking about because you're in this bubble on a circuit, and your teammates all know about this one restaurant that everybody goes to in Phoenix, and so you just <laughs> describe it that way. I maybe there's not a a large appreciation for why that amused me, but that that right there was the most NBA thing he said was Steak 44. And incidentally, I looked up the menu, and Nate, I think we should we should probably go there. We should go to Phoenix. I want to go. <laughs> uh apple yeah, so, potato i mean that's that's where that's really where it's at but yeah
5: yeah um yeah i mean I, I didn't watch really much i saw like the one viral clip and then the matt barnes response uh because you know of course i would never as a serious no, and never analyst, damed. i would never bother myself with such trivialities um, As the what ESPN backing
2: was. up a, a bit, what's the genesis yeah. of the Beverly Chris Paul feud? Obviously, they were teammates. Great question. But I wasn't assigned to write about this, so I didn't go and look up whatever happened. Post, like, uh, I
5: don't believe they up. were teammates, they were traded on- for one another in mm. the summer of 2017. Oh, there I you go. I don't think they ever actually were teammates.
1: But <laughs> well, is there a genesis? Is there some moment? Um,
5: that uh, so I think it was that, up? and then you know uh beverly they played a playoff series against each other last year and beverly like shoved him in the back i assume you mean before that i, I mean i i think it might be just because like patrick beverly liked being in houston and then got traded away for chris paul he was kind of just dumped his salary matching to the clippers and was just kind of forgotten about it maybe that's it I, I don't know if there's anything more than that or just i don't know they're both like Kind of dicks on the court, so <laughs> they probably got involved with each other one way or another. You're not so different,
1: you and I. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the narcissism of small differences, uh, yeah. perhaps. So, um, I want to take a call. I want I want more out of Nate, but I want to take a call specifically because I see Charlie in the chat, and Charlie maybe jokingly said he was unsubscribing. Due to the last article I wrote, maybe he was serious and he's a founding member. I just need to get to the bottom
5: of it. This is the nerd, the nerd article.
1: Nerd versus cowboy versus nerds, Uh, cowboy versus nerds, which to set it up for anybody who didn't read it. uh, It's this idea. I mean, Louis C.K. has divided presidents uh, in, in American history. Into either the nerd category or the cowboy category. I I said it on Colin Cowherd's show because it just seems so Cowherdian. It seemed like it would appeal to him. And then after the break, of course, he just started going on to this, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, which president? I guess, uh, you know, Obama, probably a cowboy, you know, and he's just starting to go go down the list. So I, I was very much pleased with that. But I would say with NBA coaches, you see that distinction as well. You might see that distinction in any kind of hard leadership role of people who are just kind of turbocharged uh, ch- charismatics uh, versus people who are brains and grinders and whatnot. And I felt like in the NBA, Nate, that there's kind of been a shift from the nerd to the cowboy. And I guess maybe without that distinction, just more of the ex-player getting in there. Um, and the Brad Stevens era maybe going. And I, I would attribute that if I'm going to throw out a theory, a theory you might sh- you know, shut down, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that the play, there was a huge gap between the players and their idea of what worked and what people who had an understanding of analytics uh, would say what worked. I think now that that gap has narrowed, it's allowed players who do have that cachet with other players um, and that standing to kind of maybe rise above some of the grinder coaches who came up Damn from the so that's 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 my theory. Before we bring Charlie on, I just want to hear Nate's. Um, I, Nate's riff.
5: I think that's that's a very good theory because, and just in general, right? Same thing with the front office approach. Like things like, oh, let's uh, play faster and shoot more threes, would give you this massive advantage, right? And now you can't get that massive advantage just by doing that. I mean, that's why the period probably from. I don't know, you could call it 2007 to 2017 was basically the period of the largest change in playing style, probably over a 10 year period in NBA history since like the Institute of the Shot Clock. And so now it's like, okay, you're nobody's ever even going to hire you if you think like, you know, Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley and Shaq do on on TNT, whereas, like, guys, coaches like that were getting hired in the early part of the last decade, and so now, that, and even Jason Kidd, like, he kind of learned a lot more tricks, and now that he's kind of edited out some of the dumb stuff that he thought actually won games, he could be much more effective, and he also has really good assistants. Like, he's a a perfect example. Monty Williams has got a lot better as well in, in his next iteration, so I think... The fact that it's like, oh, yeah, shooting a ton of threes and playing fast and spacing the floor, like, that's actually good, that that's just a default, that everyone realizes that now. Now I think that does make a lot of sense that maybe some of the better leaders of men uh, can get more of an advantage because a lot of those leaders of men type back in the day were also the most old-school coaches who were just getting their pants coached off.
1: Yeah. Don Nelson, total cowboy. I I just like some of these uh, (laughs) – My archetypal cowboy might be Don Nelson. But, okay, so here's how it's going to work. Uh, you you want to plug something that, that you're excited about that you want to talk about a little bit. Um, we'll do that after taking the Charlie call, Nate. How does that work? All right. Well, I,
5: uh, we could make it not plug. I think it was actually an interesting discussion to be had about it. Too, oh, an yeah. interesting so let's discussion. let's talk to Charlie here. What you
1: I won't minimize it. I won't make it sound like an, an infomercial. I'm sorry about yeah. that. I apologize. <laughs> okay, we'll get Charlie up here.
5: It's whisper quiet.
1: <laughs> Charlie, what's up, man?
0: What's up, fellas? I finally got my blood pressure down after uh, reading <laughs> your, your article about the Cowboys Thank God. And the nerds. There, you know what, dude? I look. I get the premise, of course. I think. I think. Um, you know, I've called in months ago and talked about like the different groupings of nerds and eye test watchers, and like I think, the, but the coaches you used hit me particularly as a Bucks fan.
1: Um, <laughs> You're not forgiving kid for his Bucks reign of terror. The
0: day after the game seven, not only am so it's, it's two faceted. Not only am I, I actually do forgive kid. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live with like weird hate in my heart about like good, you know, good on them, good on the Mavs. But we're seeing this revisionist thing with kid now, every Mavs game where I feel like we're the, victim of abuse that <laughs> is like, we're watching our, our ex in their first year of their new relationship. And it's like, I just want to say, good luck. Good luck. Like we, we've been through it and
5: kid, kid is kid is posting some hot photos on Instagram. Right. now, <laughs> yeah, right. Smoking. right, And it's like, all right, well, wait till you get to year two. Um, <laughs> but and
0: the bud stuff too, even amongst Bucks fans, like, first of all, Ethan, dude, the line about the adjustments, I know people say, but, like, that's gotten to the point that Budenholzer doesn't make adjustments. That's like Hillary with emails.
1: <laughs> and, like, hey, man, I, I, Trump hey, I'm not going like, to act like I'm any expert. I'm just saying I follow Ben Thompson's Twitter feed. That's all I I'm know. Saying.
0: And, 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 like, Bud, so having. I'm as a lifelong Bucks fan, I've had two coaches that have, we've gotten out of the first round of the playoffs. George Carl and Bud. Bud is flawed. Bud, dude, players love Bud. He's been nothing but positive energy. Giannis loves him. Like, to call him a nerd,
2: I, I mean, on one You'll hand... You
0: know, say, Charlie, if I have to fit him into the binary. If I have to
1: choose, you know, he's definitely, watch. Watch. Wait, he's Charlie, definitely
2: are, are you... a nerd because the um a cowboy would never deploy the strategy of just like okay, we're gonna leave Grant Williams open for three and just wait, hope wait, he how doesn't is, how go seven not cow-
5: for Yeah,
0: cowboys are stubborn.
5: That that makes no sense. <laughs> right, right, that makes no sense. That, it's a, it's a daring strategy, isn't it? It's <laughs> I, not I mean, daring. But, but no, I, I it's playing
2: the books because usually he's gonna go. Four or five for eighteen, not seven for eighteen, and it, it's like acknowledging that you're going to have bad variance nights in service of the greater good.
5: Uh, I, I think it is actually nerdy. I, I agree with you, Ryan. Joking as I was, <laughs> because I like it's a, it's a very analytically informed strategy, right? Whereas the Cowboy would be like, nah, fuck it, we could take everything away. <laughs> Swaggering Jason would yeah. have uh, yeah. 94 but, but feet Charlie, of defense I, than Grant Williams. Charlie, but, I but, do agree with you in that perhaps all NBA coaches can't be reduced down to a single sentence from, not true. Oh I forget who it was who even, uh, who you <laughs> called that from, uh <laughs> Ethan. But that, yeah, maybe it was like a slightly reductive. I I could get on board with that. Just like,
1: yeah, just need to see the truth. They're all (laughs) either nerds or cowboys. There's no other way except for Steve Kerr, who confounds the whole thing.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, I I was thinking like, God, Nick Nurse, such a nerd on so many levels. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm defensive of Bud. Everyone's coming for Bud, but the. The things that really matter in the NBA, getting superstar buy-in. Um, I know it's corny, whatever culture, like the po- the energy o- o- from Jason Kidd to Mike Budenholzer. I can't even describe. Like Jason Kidd had a corrosive; everyone was miserable by the time he left. So we had a bump in year one, just like the Mavs had a bump. He came in, we had Zaza Pachulia and Jared Dudley running around with a trap defense. Like, but we'll see. All, all I'm saying is there's just been a lot of like, well, Jason Kidd is great now. I mean, That's, it's,
1: it's how I feel about Ryan praising the defector since I've seen these various publications uh, dissolve uh, in acrimony. I go, eh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we'll, we'll check the long game on, on the whole thing. But uh, Eric Spolstra nerd. Yeah. Eric Spolstra. <laughs> Spolstra nerd. I mean, he married a Miami Heat cheerleader. I mean, look, he's a—he's an alpha nerd. Uh, he's a very confident nerd. I'm not saying that you have to be diffident. You know, when Colin Cowherd tried to put Obama into the cowboy category, I disagreed. I just thought that Obama's a very charismatic nerd. I've, I've got to put him in the nerd category in the binary,
0: though. I see. You. just appreciate it. Just keep my Milwaukee Bucks out of your nerd, Colin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charlie. Let's get into this media conversation from uh, with... Nate, you want to bring up something to Ryan? Nate, what's the deal? Uh-oh. Oh, no. Nate.
5: He's Am I the one? second Am... screen no. or alternate broadcast experiences. And, like, where do you see that going and how kind of viable – that is because it seems to be all the rage I'm involved with it, I Obviously uh, as kind of an independent, but do you really think that that's going to be like some big trend or is it just more of a sideshow?
2: Well, it's definitely going to be a trend at ESPN and considering they've got what half of the aggregate sports rights in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, it's therefore going to be a trend. So you've seen, um, the expansion of the, um, Peyton's places into virtually like every sport, like they have like Vince Carter doing NBA and they've got, I should know more of them off the top of my head. Cause I wrote about it when they, they did the Carter one, but that they, like they're, they're expanding Peyton's places to every sport. They have like Ronda Rousey with UFC, um, And I think that you are going to see them do the Manning cast for a lot of events. They're doing like a Manning cast produced by uh, Omaha Productions with Joe Buck for the PGA Championship. So I really think like just given the relationship between ESPN and Omaha, I believe that you'll see this with like college football playoffs, eventually NBA playoffs.
5: So what about the kind of more, this more independent way of doing it? I mean, like Danny and I have been doing our live, what were second screen experiences. Now it's actually first screen. You can log in with your cable provider with this company playback we're working with now. And you can actually watch the game with our commentary actually on it. And it's all above board and legal for the first time. We'd kind of been doing it illicitly and having people sync up and, and stuff like that. And there seems to be a lot of interest from the league. There are all these startups, many of which we have worked with at various times, like Pop Mike is another one we worked with last year, that seems to think that there is a big market for this of just if not necessarily getting on here with your friends, having 15, 20 different streams that you know anybody can jump on that's gonna make more people watch the game. Do you buy that? Is that really like a business model that you think there's a lot of demand for and there would be a lot of growth in mm.
2: i mean it's going to depend on the personalities and the distribution like if i tried to do it i don't think i would draw very many viewers but um the you know the bar people, i was just enormous social clout yeah. they do these watch alongs for games and they've got thousands of people watching along with them. And so yeah, I do think that it's going to be viable given the um the right like mix of talent and distribution.
1: I was just thinking about the Barstool guys and that because it's supplemental to their overall venture. I mean, the idea isn't that they're augmenting um, how many people are looking at the event. The idea is that they're building more of a connection with the fans of what they do. Uh, they're really and they're big trying on, to
2: get them to gamble with them.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that is <laughs> ultimately how the uh, Alice in Wonderland oysters get eaten. But, you know, in the meantime, it's about building that connection and it's about, uh, that world building that they have done um, where it's kind of behind the scenes. And I think it's a little similar for you, Nate, where uh, that's not principally what you're selling to people, but people want to see a little bit more of you and a little bit more of Danny. And they, they want to get behind the scenes. And so it's supplementing your overall thing. I don't know if it's necessarily going the other way and supplementing the thing for these leagues uh, with the exception of the Peyton Manning uh, situation, which just seems almost sui generous. See, yeah. that's well, me being pretentious well, like I, mean,
5: right. <laughs> I I happen to know that the NBA is very interested in that because, I mean, they, they obviously do the Hooper Vision thing uh, with um, Jamal Crawford and Quentin Richardson. And we're the other ones who are doing, I think there's a betting one too, where we're doing like alternate casts through the actual League Pass mm-hmm. app during the season. So it seems like they want to invest in that and they're pleased with the numbers, although, how many people are actually going to watch? An out-of-market league pass game to begin with is relatively low, and then you know who's going to watch that on NBA League Pass app, which is the only place it's available. That's lower still, even if we are bringing some people in. So it's just—it it seems like they're kind of experimenting with this. And I guess the question is, are we going to? And I think we'll end up with you know for important things, maybe. Well, two you or know, three. What? get yeah, Patrick Beverly
2: to do yours
5: with you for a Chris Paul game.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, and get Stephen
5: A. Smith to flank you. And yeah. uh, but, but see, yeah. see that's not our brand, though. Our brand is, like, and it's interesting because in some of the conversations that we've had with people, they're like, okay, like this is supposed to be second screen. It's different, like it should almost be more like a podcast while you're watching the game, and the way we want to do it is the opposite. We want to just, like, call every single little detail of it as it's happening 100% focus on like what's happening on the court right then or throughout the game, as opposed to storylines or jokes or, or any of that. So, so that's like our brand of our cast. There's certainly, you know, other ones that have a, more of a, uh, you know, kind of a personality. Well, focus I feel, would I say you if say. you're
2: already working with the league on it, don't dwell on it because they want <laughs> you for what you're yeah. doing. And, cool. um, uh,
1: Yeah, and I I think there's an opportunity for you because there's this system, there's this rhythm, there's this inertia. Nobody really has questioned it or few people have questioned whether it works. And I often find myself during the game thinking, why is it announced like this? I was watching the uh, the Celtics heat game and there was some diversion to the sideline reporter and I can literally not even remember what it was about. But I remember thinking, that didn't need to happen. That was a big waste of my time. I didn't need to know that about that player. Uh, it was useless. And yet there is that rhythm of, we'll throw it to the sideline reporter, and they'll give you a human interest story about the player that isn't all, isn't actually all that interesting in the end. It doesn't really augment your sense of the game. And if we have a color commentator who's not very good, uh, they're going to ramble about things that are uh, boring and I think these are all. That's why the
2: Manningcast was such a revelation because it turns out you don't need the announcers in the booth to watch a football game you can have you can watch with these like brothers who were both super bowl winning quarterbacks in their basement who are zooming with like other quarterbacks or celebrities and that's actually like an enjoyable way to watch monday night football no one would have like i mean if you had said peyton manning was involved then i guess like people would have given it the benefit of the doubt but until that like actually happened nobody could have seen it coming well and
1: also i think what opens up an opportunity for Nate because he does that excellent analysis in real time. People thought when Gronkowski appeared on the Manning cast that, Oh, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait for Gronk. And then it was boring because he didn't take it seriously. He was distracted and it, it, he wasn't engaged. And a lot of what people want when they're watching that stuff, isn't just the rapport between the Manning brothers and some celebrity. It's worst when they have a celebrity on. What they want is the good analysis that they wouldn't necessarily get during the game and that they can only get from Peyton Manning or Eli Manning. So and it was
2: also funny how mad like they would get through the screen at like some offensive lineman who missed a block.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was also fantastic. So yeah, I think that there's an opportunity for actual good analysis because there's so much just so much fat. On the, uh, does that metaphor go on the bone on something? There's too much fat. It's flabby, you know, uh, the the, 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 traditional broadcast and somebody who wants it to be more, uh, observant, I think would like to go elsewhere. I know. Let's take two questions and get on out of here. I know JF. I'm going to, well, I'll go Joe first. I know JF's got a TV take, uh, but I'll, I'll go Joe because he's been very patient. And then we can, uh, we can put everybody to bed. Joe, Joe, you've been waiting forever. I feel horrible. How you doing? <laughs> oh, oh, good. Um, I'll be quick around a round of sports media question. Something that always confused me is why did uh, Whitlock leave our cook kick? Did he just like, Ben. oh no you, we, we went through you're, this before you, you're asking there, like, a good question
2: show? uh it's too long of a story i'll go quick real quick no no
1: I, okay you'll go like the quickest possible version because when you got into it the first time it was like the iliad you know yeah, it was way more
2: complicated really our um there there was a venture capital firm that clay partnered with that they didn't see eye to eye with whitlock
1: boom i love that succinct and speaking of succinct and thank you joe oh, thank uh you. nate nate there was something that you wanted to say
5: oh yeah now we'll get to the actual plug um, ah that, open if open you us. want to watch the games we were going to be doing the next two east finals game it's uh get playback.com is the place that you go on your desktop uh slash room slash nate duncan nba i tweeted out all the time too on my Twitter account at Nate Duncan NBA and you can basically check out a commentary with me and my partner Danny LaRue uh, that if you actually really want to focus in a lot on the game and hopefully learn something all you got to do is just log in with your TV provider and then you just you're watching the game with our commentary and uh, the ESPN feed and the crowd in the background so it's it's quite seamless and it's totally above board. You don't have to sync up or anything. It's, it's great technology. So That's nice. Not having to, to sync it.
2: up is like a big, yeah. big difference.
5: Yeah. No, it's this is a math. Like these guys have finally got it. It's basically the technology is you're on a Zoom call with the game and all the people. So it's just everything you say is broadcasted out in real time. There's not like some huge delay either. Like it's pretty close to like what's actually happening in real time as well. So it's extremely impressive technology.
2: Nice.
1: Sounds fantastic. Okay, well, let's see if it impresses JF or intrigues him, as we call him up to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> as our <Yeah>. final
6: question here, <laughs> JF, how you doing? Yo, uh, how's it going, guys? So I got a question uh, for Nate on that um, uh, technology. Does sure. it bring in the
5: crowd noise while you're So, yeah, it, it does. They're, they actually allow you to customize your mix of – the stream feed and our feed the only downside is that they can't separate out the game sound noises from the actual commentary that's on the feed as well but i think if you just kind of turn it down a little bit you can still hear the crowd noise and our talking is make it a little bit louder so you don't really hear the commentary of the announcers and then you know, if the ref is going to say something, you can actually just turn that feed up. Do you hear what they're going to say on review or something like that? So it's, it's as good as it possibly could be, I would say, particularly because it requires absolutely zero setup cost from us. We just turn it on two minutes before the game and it's super easy. So I, I'm considering where we started, where I would have to show the game clock with the camera and have people manually sync up their DVRs. It's come quite a long way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so was, yeah, yeah. I,
6: I yeah. So I have two kind of thoughts on it. One is I, I'm a bit bearish on the idea because just adding more friction to the watching experience. It's the same basic reason why you know the NBA's next contract could be bigger than its current one, even though there's declining ratings and less people are subscribing to cable. Oh, well, it's not
2: declining it's, ratings now. They're having like ten-year highs.
6: Yeah. Uh, well
2: general trend well
6: we sh- <laughs> yes exactly we, the,
1: the, you know, ra- re- yeah. the the Ryan the the Ratings Ryan blog i thought did a pretty compelling uh, breakdown that it's the basically what you know what you guys a different thought,
2: Ryan for
1: not like, me a different Ryan but similar to what you thought with uh the god why can i never remember the name robert Sideman? robert Sideman. his his guess that it's a 15% bump looks to be accurate when somebody with Access to uh, data that you know is usually proprietary breaks it down. I mean, it's much more complicated than that, but it's effectively a a fifteen percent steroid boost uh, in the viewership right now.
6: And I would say, you know, people got really uh, you know crazy after the first week or two weeks of the NBA uh, that the ratings were above even that. Right? They were higher than uh, I think the twenty nineteen playoffs. Sorry, my dog wants to go out now. Um, and uh, it's because they didn't have—they didn't even have the NBA uh, competing, or sorry, the NHL rather competing mm-hmm. with it. Usually, it'd be the second round of the playoffs for hockey, and that's you know eating probably a million and a half uh, total viewers each night. Hockey fans that are you know tuning in from TBS or TNT, so they were, they didn't have that against them. There was other factors, and when pl- hockey playoffs did start, I noticed that the NBA ratings did decline back to kind of like kind of like 19 uh levels um
0: yeah they were right
1: on they were right in line with 2019 based on the rating ryan ratings blog uh breakdown yes Um, yes he did that a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago but the thing is getting back to 2019 is not nothing i mean it's being presented Mm as as a lie basically that they are better than ever because 15 percent is a huge boost to get, um, yeah, you know, I mean, fifteen
2: percent of six million is like almost a million.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big boost, but it, hey, they had fallen so far uh in twenty twenty and to a certain extent twenty twenty one that to get back to twenty nineteen is moving things in the right direction. I do think it speaks to how the postseason was resonating. Wait, can,
2: can we can we really can we talk about that real quick because we both observed it. The yeah. NBA has been stunningly not, um, like, they've, they've. there's not been a lot of talk about, like, the tragic Buffalo shooting
5: over the weekend. Like, the um, – They had a, a moment of silence in the arena in a couple of places. Which, which,
1: is, appro- which, which is appropriate. Uh, yeah. It, it, well, like, you know, there hasn't yeah. been
2: a LeBron tweet about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's hard because, God, it's it's such it's such a horrific tragedy. And thinking about it in this context, you don't want to be too glib. But it also is revealing of the way things, I guess, have shifted because there was that uh, there was that dead spin. You know what? Nate wants to get the hell out of this conversation. I'm revealing. No, that's, that. a, that's not true
5: at all. That, oh, it's that's not, not true?
1: true at all. Okay, I, I, okay, I got plenty okay. of time here. Okay, okay. I just based yeah, on your text. Yeah, you gotta okay.
5: allow the conversation to resolve of its own momentum.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. No. There was this very this crazy dead spin article about uh you know, kind of about how the players were forced to play in the aftermath of it and how that's white supremacy. And you know, it was like the crazy article of the day that people uh, reacted to mostly on the center and on the right. But actually in a weird way, it revealed something, which is that it didn't cause uh, the sorts of protests and breakdowns that you would have expected in 2020. That something, something had shifted where something as horrific as that um, something racially motivated uh, specifically um, that it didn't actually disrupt the league I do think is revealing of something of some sort of shift where those sorts of things are less on the minds of people within the league and outside the league. And maybe with a bit of a side of the sense that uh, people had gone too far prior. So uh, the absence, I guess, of an aftermath, uh, the absence of disruption, I think speaks to something. Um, yeah, no, I? I
2: agree with yeah. that.
1: I await my defector write up on, you know, however I frame that, however glib it was. But yeah, I think that, I think that is, uh, that is the case. It, it was an indicator. But um, I, I still want to know why JF is, uh, is bearish, you know, on, uh, on, on yeah. streaming. I don't know if we yeah. totally unpack that.
6: No, no. So I, I'll i say that, uh, and I was trying to get to it with the cable uh, contract the NBA will sign next. Well, you know, you guys predict it'll be higher. Everyone assumes it. And even though all the numbers are going the opposite direction and it's because it's just one of these mediums that are, is really incredibly sticky uh, with consumers. Right. So I think adding another layer of technology to do these kind of uh, second screen viewings or other casts, even though they are better and we are getting more fragmented uh, media channels. Uh, it's just, you know, is too difficult to grow in scale uh, you know, in a short period of time. So I think, Ryan is right that the obvious vertical for ESPN is to put all of these other channels uh, and have second uh, broadcasts with the Mannings or whoever that will work because the friction is low. It's just changing, the cha- changing the channel. Um, but I think on other apps, you know, it will be tough to grow on scale. That's my opinion. And I will well, say you would we,
2: have thought it, about that with like, you know, podcasts, everyone use Apple or maybe like, google play spotify came along now a lot of people use that and we've got 80 people listening live on this app and we are going to get maybe like one to two thousand total in aggregate on the playback like who would have thought six months ago that this app could be drawing this type of distribution
6: yeah and and i you know you're building a great audience and it actually deserves you know a bigger audience in my opinion but um I think that's just kind of the, uh, I would say, uh, the fickleness of the consumer, right? They're just very resistant to make changes. And when you go from Apple to Spotify, the reason they stay in Spotify is because they already have the Spotify music uh, subscription, right? So it's actually Mm -hmm. less friction for them to just, you know, use their same account to listen to their podcasts. Yeah. And, so, I, Nate? and and I will say this yeah. too. And, you know, this is the first question, Nate, about the crowd noise. That is so important to kind of the listening experience, the viewing experience sure. for games. And it was really interesting. Uh, the CBC I mentioned before, it's a crown corporation. It's a, you know, state media, essentially in Canada, uh, their uh, workers had a strike, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And they broadcast CFL games with no, uh, announcers. And so it was just crowd noise and the ratings actually went up. Like I remember watching a, you know, one of these games, it was on at like a barbecue and it was just more, it just brought you in like just hearing the crowd noise, you know, uh, Throughout the place. Like it was just a more interesting experience. And of course, the, the ratings, it was just too small of a window to really make any conclusions. You know, it could have just been the novelty of it, but it is, you know, quite an impactful uh, feature of the viewing experience. So they need that absolutely if you're going to do it.
5: No, and... I, I agree with you on that. And that's perhaps part of why the ratings were so far down in the bubble and then also in the uh, 2021 season for a lot of it but to, to react to your first point about the friction and basically all you have to do is just sign in with the username and password on this the same as you would if you're watching on watch espn or any you know your cable provider you know nbc sports Bay com or anything it's basically exactly as seamless as that would be and they're also going to have like a smart tv app and stuff once they go out of beta hopefully by Next year, they tell me. And I think the, the other thing that's interesting about this is I think our, on our last episode that we did um, that I have metrics for, the average viewer was in there for 51 minutes. Uh-huh. So that's like a crazy number. Um, and obviously, these are people who have a relationship with us and know us and stuff. But I think that's something that's going to be an appeal because you get just, like, real, like, super fans in there. Or maybe that's kind of more where it is. Maybe it even would become, like, a little bit of a subscription podcast or, or not podcast product or something like that where it's appealing more to really hardcore fans. I have no idea whether, you know, if 100,000 people listen to our cast, how many of them would actually like it and think it was good. You know, some of it's discovery, but it just may not be for – it may be too granular for those people. So I think those are some of the responses to what you're saying there. Uh, I'm not sure whether that quells your concerns at all or not, <laughs> but that, that was the
1: best I could do. I feel like I'm watching Mad Men. I feel like I'm watching an accounts guy talk with a potential uh, potential client right now. It's, uh, it's you know, entertaining for
6: me
5: at least, you know. And, and yeah, I you think... want to go play golf later, JF?
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's... Uh, you're absolutely right the discovery is the hardest part right and and that's why yeah. you know real estate on tv is is still you know so valuable uh cuz discovery is easy and as you know the television audience does get siphoned off and it gets you know moved into these smaller fragments and different platforms like uh you know watch playback or or whatever um that app is called it's, yeah. uh, you know, it will get to a scale that could be sustainable, but, uh, you know, I don't seeing it happen in, you know, uh, you know, the next five years. Right. I, I think there'll be a huge like and this is my grand prediction. I think cable TV will be kind of a dead thing in uh, you know, 15, 20 years uh, and then, you know, then it becomes a really viable product, but uh, not until
2: then.
1: JF's craziest 30%. prediction is that the rights price goes down, and
2: there's no uh, way, especially with inflation.
1: But yes, but but but, but, if,
2: but now it, look at the Disney stock.
1: I mean, if if JF is right, I, it, it's just going to be one of those. I don't even know what to compare it to. One of those all time calls that everybody <laughs> doubted. Uh, but it's the, gonna
2: be. It's it's gonna be like the guys in the Big Short. Like you could write who's... a book about JF being right and everybody else <laughs> yeah. being wrong. Who's bidding up the price? That's who I,
6: that's what I don't understand. You know, where is this coming from? Disney is basically, you know, pivoting to their streaming service, right? Because it's direct to consumer and expanding that. So uh,
2: don't uh, don't that, that's, that, that um, ne- Netflix's recent struggles mm-hmm. are going to reframe these streaming networks as the capital F future. But but I would say Netflix
6: struggles more reflective of them being you know kind of the dominant and uh, player in the market that's gotten, like carved up by Hulu and and Disney and yeah and, and, well, yeah, and yeah but Disney
2: is charging unsustainably low prices when they have to raise prices their consumers are gonna have to make hard decisions too.
6: Hmm. No, yeah.
2: I see. That's where I disagree because cable's been getting away with it for
6: like the past 20 years, right? Like cable bills, like doubled essentially in the past 20 years. And, you know, uh, yes, they're losing, but it's just a very small uh, portion of the, their audience. Um, you know, while like, you know, it's, it's so much cheaper and, you know, they could afford to, um, I guarantee the revenues would grow if they increased uh, their price. It's, you're right. It's really cheap now. And if they increased, even if they lost a 10 percent of the audience and they increased to 20, you know, revenues would grow. That, so. that doesn't answer the question of who's bidding up the price. I
1: mean, potentially Fox. Fox talks a crazy amount of NBA, considering that it has no rights.
2: Uh, Ryan, is that a possibility, you think? I don't think so. At this time, um, they would need to be partnered with a tech company in their bed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, like it, like, like if I Fox
2: said. and Apple went in it together, then Fox is a threat because Fox has all of this production know how that Apple doesn't, you know. But um, Fox is a standalone; they're a very small company compared to these other companies at this moment. It's and, like and- the um, it like Fox is basically Fox News and Fox Sports and like local Fox News now. That's the company. And And we've
6: we've talked about that Apple TV Plus deal with MLB being like peanuts uh, in comparison to what these, you know, what the NBA wants for the next deal. Um, And and they're running the same problem. They don't have scale. Right. And, you know, it'd be horrible for the NBA to actually go to a platform that only has you know, probably 10, 20, 30 million people really interested in the NBA. Um, you know, because just the overall general interest in the league would go down if they were to partner with uh that kind of... Uh, yeah,
2: I mean, I think streamers are probably and, going to nibble around the edges of the NBA more than taking, you know, what... It, it's Turner's going to be annoying. Right
1: it's going to be annoying. This is a very niche complaint, but it's going to be difficult to even suss out, I think, mathematically... The price difference uh, for the rights because of this uh, nibbling and the different carve outs. It's not going to be like back in the day where it's X amount going to Turner, going to ESPN. You're seeing more of these deals now where it's legitimately confusing, just as to what the hell is what the hell's happening. So, yeah, you know, and, and are
5: they going to give you to like? Is ESPN going to have the ability to like you know like? I think they have with MLB now, or somebody does. I can't remember. I don't follow baseball that closely. But you can watch now any game basically like it's NBA League Pass on ESPN, right? Are they going to have that ability? Yeah, they've forward. got that like, with
2: yeah. the NHL now. They basically yeah, brought the NHL's right. NHL, version yeah. of um, League Pass into ESPN+. No one knows. I mean, that's another – that's a question that's going to yeah. be fascinating is, is the NBA going to take back? NBA TV and NBA.com from Turner, who have done a bad job with them. Yeah, and and
6: I would like to know what's the kind of revenue split between kind of the ESPN deals and the aggregate of the RSNs. uh, You know, and like would the would the teams individual franchises give that up? Like I know golden state, they're like the number one market local market. They're up for re- renegotiation with their RSN. You know, uh, Joe Leika is probably really happy with that, you know, upcoming negotiation, but if he has to kind of hand that over to ESPN to uh, take it, like, I-, I don't think. the No, I don't think
2: ESPN will have the regional rights. I think maybe like, they'll have league pass but it's like those regional rights are not going anywhere
5: right now
1: all-time great deal for uh nbc sports bay area by the way to lock
5: in those warriors rights before oh my god yeah in uh, 2010 like a 15-year deal or something like that yeah i i I wish you were wrong about that ryan that they could just get rid of all these local tv rights because that's just screwing up so much of what i think they would like to do like that's what's screwing up shortening the season and actually having fewer games and spreading them out so that teams actually try in every regular season game. Like, you know, they have these contracts where it's like you you have to deliver 72 games. I think
2: you're underestimating the gate in some of these markets like Memphis and Oklahoma City and places that don't have big TV deals, too. Like, you know, not only getting 18,000 paying people into the building, but whatever they spend on, like, beer and food and merchandise on top of that.
5: Yeah, Well, you're saying they couldn't just raise ticket prices commensurate if there were 29 home games instead of 41?
2: I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe a little bit. I've got to check in again
1: with my ticket ticket sources because there was such a collapse in the attendance markets, and I haven't really checked back in a few months, and you know a lot of a lot of the other stuff is rebounded. I don't know if it's the case. I don't know if it's the case with some of these downtown arenas with work from home, so that's just whole this whole other component. I, I'm fascinated by just how many billions the pandemic cost these sports leagues, and because it's been so cheap to uh, get loans, it's like nobody ever felt it, and there is this sense of somebody's got to pay the fiddler at some point, but maybe not really, you know, if you've got a value. Well, Now
2: the interest rates have climbed dramatically. Like they, they it's now almost 6% on like a 30 year mortgage. And it was what, like 3% six months ago. Well, we'll figure out our big short bet to make of what, you know, what
1: league is going to go belly up, you know, what team is going to be a financial disaster. (laughs) uh we'll try to figure it out and target off of it and profit it Spe- profit off of it speaking of which i've got to run because i've got to write about uh what a mess the lakers are uh, oh behind my. the scenes oh um, god i can't wait
5: i, can't, <laughs> I cannot <laughs> fucking wait for this
1: uh so do not i
2: underestimate r- ethan finding that
1: <laughs> so i gotta run and do that uh ladies and gentlemen great talk Thanks to Nate again. Nate, do you want to replug one more plug? I, I have out? a quick
2: plug after him too.
1: Okay, okay. Sure. Well, yeah, it's uh,
5: just just go to my Twitter at Nate Duncan but it's uh get playback.com slash room slash Nate Duncan And you know, in any of my podcasts too, there'll be a, a link to it if you want to watch games with us uh, the rest of the way here.
1: Okay, Ryan, plug.
2: I, I have a story coming out tomorrow morning. Beano <laughs> Cook had he was like this ESPN college football analyst loved by college football guys. Um, he had this, his autobiography come out 10 years after he died and he just told wild, like world school TV business stories in it. And I've got a collection of some of those coming out in the morning in the New York Post.
1: Oh, I can't wait for that one. Okay. Everybody check that out. Uh, Thanks so much, Nate. Thanks so much, Ryan. This is a great episode. And we will see you next time, or at least Ryan and I will. And eventually, <laughs> Nate, months from
2: Nate now, Nate will soon. be back. Yeah, he'll be back.
1: <laughs> they always come back. <laughs> they
2: always come back. They always come back. I'm disappointed none of the defector people jumped into the queue. I hey, thought baby. I could suss them out. Anyways, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll be back, I think, probably next week.
0: Okay. See you everybody.